Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just the Girl and True Crime. And I'm going to tell you guys about my sponsor, Anchor. Now you're probably thinking, what is Anchor? Well, I'm about to tell you. It's everything you need and the easiest way to start your own podcast all in one place. Anchor allows you to have all of these tools right at your hand from your phone or even for your computer. I know I use my phone and my computer phone if I want to upload something. You know, a little fresh when I'm on the go or at home on my computer when I'm sitting there Friday night doing nothing. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast just in one place. What are you guys waiting for? And I know you're probably thinking, how much did this cost you? Well, it's free. Totally free. If you want to get started, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You won't regret it. I didn't. Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Girl in True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven, and tonight we are doing the final part of of the Cleveland abduction. We're not doing the final part of my podcast. And if you follow the Facebook group, you know I said I went into deep dive and there was a lot of information I wanted to grab out. And I just want to get started. If you didn't listen to part one, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that so you're all caught up. All right, so let's get started. You need police, fire, or ambulance? I need police. Okay, and what's going on there? I've been kidnapped, and I've been missing for 10 years, and I'm, I'm here. I'm free now. Okay, and what's your address? Uh, call me from huh? looks like you're calling me I can't hear you. It looks like you were calling me from Okay, stay there with those neighbors. Talk to the police when they get there. Okay. Okay, talk to the police when they get there. Okay. Hello? Yeah, talk to the police when they get there. Okay, I'm on the way right now. We're going to send them as soon as we get a car open. No, I need them now before we get back. All right, we're sending them, okay? Okay, I mean, wait a minute. Who's the guy you're uh, trying? Who's the guy who went out? Um, his name is. When she was able to escape from her captor's house. And I just wanted to play that clip because, you know, I just wanted to put that in there and it's rough. So we're going to hop right into it because there is a lot to cover. So, like I said, you didn't listen to the first part. Go back and listen to it because we talked about, in the first part, we talked a lot about Michelle Knight. And we talked about um, Ariel Castro. And now in this one, we're going to be talking about the other two girls who were brought into the home. And everything like that. So, Ariel always told Michelle that he, you know, would let her go after he had gotten some more girls in the house. But we all know that he actually never planned on letting them go, or her go. And we don't really know how long he planned on keeping them in that house. If I had to guess, it obviously would have been forever. But we actually don't know, and we never will know. So, the first girl we are going to talk about is Amanda Berry, who you just heard in the clip. And she was born on April 22nd in 1986. She grew up in Cleveland, Ohio as well. 
Her mom's name was Luana Miller, and she had a sister named Beth, and there wasn't really much of her dad, so I'm assuming he wasn't in the picture. Um, Amanda had a job, and she worked at Burger King, and her sister was the last, like, person to speak to her. She tried calling her for a ride. She couldn't get a hold of them. She tried to call a friend, but I think that fell through as well. She went missing on the eve of her 17th birthday in April 21st in 2003. Ariel, you know, came around in a car or a van and he asked her if, you know, she needed a ride. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. She told her friend or whoever that she had a ride and she'd be home soon. And it's believed that, like, he had a son or somebody work at Burger King as well. And he was like, oh, you know, you know, like, so-and-so. And she's like, yeah, you know, I think so. So she knew him, which is crazy. So now knowing this, you know, she felt comfortable with getting into his car because she knew who he was from his kids. But once Amanda, you know, got into his house, she knew right away that she was not leaving. He knew she did have a cell phone. And he, you know, asked, oh, hey, can I see your phone? She's like, oh, yeah, sure. But I heard a noise. Um, She ended up seeing Michelle. And she knew right away that what was go- whatever was going on with Michelle, she uh, put two and two together that the same thing was going to happen to her. When Michelle went missing, it really didn't raise much of an alarm because she was in her 20s. And the police just, you know, thought she left of her own free will. And I do come back to that later in the story. As far as Amanda, though, her case drew tons of attention. One, it was because she was only 16 turning 17. It's not normal for someone her age just to not come home. Just a week after she was abducted, Ariel used her cell phone to call her mother. And when he called her, he told her mom that Amanda and I are married. And she wants to be here, even though her Amanda's mom never got to speak to her daughter. And then after that, you know, the call just ended. Her mom called the police. They tried to trace the call, but they could only really pinpoint of where the location actually was. The call was placed somewhere near West 58th Street and Clark Street. And they thought, you know, if this person used the phone again they would be able to get a better location on where she was. But the phone was never used again. Which is kind of sad. Now, the police and the media first thought, like Amanda, I read that she had ran away, but her mother shut that down and was like, no, my daughter did not run away. Something happened to her. She just wouldn't leave. Okay? So Amanda was kept, while she was kept in the house, she kept journals. Ariel ended up giving all the girls journals eventually, and out of all of them, this is going to be very graphic of what I found. Um, Amanda kept the most detailed journals. In one of the journals slash diaries, in a 300-page book, Amanda described how a day how a day was after she was abducted. Ariel had, you know, made her shower with him, and then he locked her onto a pole in the basement, just like he did with Michelle. And she put chains around her stomach, so all of that he did. After a while, he did let her come up, like he did with Michelle. After she came up from the basement, though, she was put into a bedroom where she was chained to a radiator, adding zip ties along with rusty chains. And her only food was cold McDonald's or Burger King, which he bought to her once a day. She recalled after she finished eating, 
he would tell her to strip and he does it again. She also described how he kept a mannequin with a black wig and red fishnet vest. Amanda initially kept count of the rapes in these journals, writing in an April 27th entry, it's Sunday, I've been gone six days, and so far he has raped me at least 25 times. In her journals, She said how he was, how he would slobber on her face and he was obsessed with her breasts, telling her, these boobs are mine, I put in my thing, ew, that's nasty. She also wrote that she took pictures from her purse and she stuck them on um, cereal boxes. And when he would do these horrible things to her body, she would just look at her mom's face and she would imagine her laugh. And she'd look into her eyes and she would just lose herself. And my mom always, you know, her mom and her, like she said in the pictures, that they always got through it. She also described the psychological tricks Ariel played on her, pretending that he called her mom and then he would allow her to listen to the voicemails from her desperate, desperately worried family. Ariel at some point allows her to read an article in a local a local news, newspaper named, called the, the Plain Dealer, where her mom spoke of her worry. Amanda also recalled how Ariel's reaction was, and it turned him on to see how much it hurt her when she read this article. In her memoir, memoir that's definitely wrong, but it's all right because I'm tired. Um, she describes, uh, the survival techniques Amanda adapts to stay alive. Don't fight. Don't make him mad. Ariel, at one point, eventually put a vacuum cleaner cord around her neck in the filthy bedroom she was staying in and tightened the cord around her neck tighter and tighter. And then he said, I'm not here to kill you, he shouts. I don't want to kill you. This is just about my sexual problem. The TV was eventually taken from Michelle because that's what she had. And then it was given to Amanda. Ariel had kept, you know, the girls separate from each other. But the but two of them did share a bedroom. Okay. And we're going to talk about her in a little bit. Amanda's mom actually appeared on the Montel Williams show because she was very desperate for answers of what happened to her daughter. And in 2004, about a year after her disappearance, she decided to talk to a psychic and see if she could give her any information regarding her daughter's whereabouts. Now, this part's going to make you mad because it made me mad when I read it. It pissed me off. The psychic she spoke to was named Sylvia Brown, and it seems that her specialty was giving psychic readings on TV. She told Amanda's mother that Amanda was no longer living, and her mother broke down crying, as any mother would, which, you know, it's totally understandable. Nobody wants to hear. That, you know, your child's not alive anymore. No one wants to hear that, Sylvia. The plain dealer reports that Sylvia told Luana on the show, She's not alive, honey. Your daughter's not the kind who wouldn't call. According to newspapers, her mom took what the supposed psychic said to her to heart believing her 98%. In sad turning events, her mom ended up passing away from heart failure about a year after she received this news from Sylvia. She was only 44 years old, and many believe that she died of a broken heart, believing her daughter died 
All thanks to Sylvia, this psychic. I almost said psychotic. Same thing, I guess. I mean, yeah, she could be psychotic. <clears throat> and I said, I just don't understand how this lady could tell this poor mom this and everything and be like, she's dead. And then, like, what I read... When I read further down, you know, she had problems with, like, other people's cases that she tried to do, like, similar stuff to. And I just don't get it. And then ABC tried to reach Sylvia for a comment, but she wouldn't return any calls, probably for the best, because you told this mother that her daughter died, and she's actually not dead, and everything like that. Now, let's talk about the second victim. Georgina, but she went as Gina de Jesus. Um, yeah. Or it's de Jesus, but I just don't think that sounds right. De Jesus. We're going to call her Gina. She was born in Cleveland, Ohio. On April 1st in 1990, her tight-knit family included her father, Felix, her mother, Nancy, her sister, Myra, and her brother, Ricardo. As a 13-year-old, Gina almost walked 40 blocks from her home in Cleveland to the Wilbur Wright Middle School, passing through commercial areas mixed with run-down, frequent, frequented, frequently by prostitutes now we're going to talk about her kidnapping she was a lot harder to find like stuff in um her home life while she was walking home from school one day on april 2nd 2004 at five feet one inch 14 year old gina disappeared after being offered a ride by the former school bus driver Ariel Castro. Here's the kicker. Ironically, the father of one of Gina's friends, Arlene Castro, who was last to see Gina, um, you know, alive prior to her disappearance because they were supposed to go Arlene was supposed to go to Gina's, or it was the other way around, and one of them called one of their moms, and they were like, no, you need to come home, so they just split ways. Gina's mom had actually given her $1.25 to take the bus home, but she decided to walk like she did many times before, and she kept the money for snacks and gum instead. But instead of... um. But instead of Ariel taking Gina home, he was like, hey, can you help me move some speakers into my house real quick? And she's like, oh, yeah. And she thought she could trust him. You know, she knew the daughter. Ariel was um, very well known to Gina's family and everything like that. And, you know, all these girls, they knew his kids. And everything like that. So they thought they could trust him. And they didn't really think twice about, you know, thinking if they were safe or not. Now, no one witnessed her abduction. And an Amber Alert was not issued, which actually angered her father. And, you know, with the whole speakers thing, like I said, she just didn't think it was bizarre. I mean... Why would she? So when they got to the place, Ariel led her to the basement where Gina said he grabbed her and he chained her up. Okay. But he didn't make her chains that tight. So Gina was actually able to throw the chains over him and she tried to run, but he ended up sitting on her back. Gina just started to kick him, and she said she actually did end up bruising him really 
really well, so or really bad. As Ariel overpowered her, she tried to scream for help, but the radio was too loud in the basement, and so was the radio upstairs in the living room. Ariel did some weird things. Like Gina said, he would take her hair and put it in his mouth. She didn't know why he did that, but she found it to be very gross. And I can see why, because if anybody put my hair in their mouth, I think I would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Okay? The first time Ariel, um, he didn't rape her right away since she was 14. He wanted her to get, like, I guess used to the house or whatever. But the first time he raped her was on May 7th in 2004. At first, when Gina came in, he treated her better than the other two girls. She had the nicer room, she said. Amanda said the slightest gesture of favoritism made the girls feel very jealous. And it was like simple things. But when you don't have anything and you know it's like being taunted like against you, you're automatically like, well, I want that. Why don't I have that? And that's stuff he would do with them. Like I said before, Ariel did make sure the girls were separated at first. But he eventually brought Gina into the bathroom where Michelle was at. And he played it off like Gina was his daughter. But of course, Michelle was like, no, in her head, no, she's not your daughter. And she knew it was a lie. When Ariel actually like left them in the bathroom together, Michelle whispered to her, you're Gina. And, you know, Gina replied, you know who I am. And Michelle told Gina, you know, make sure Ariel doesn't know or doesn't find out who I know who you are because there will be consequences. Um, and, you know, he put, a, he put Gina in the bathroom with Michelle because he said, you know, her hair needs done. Fix up her hair. And when the, her hair was done, she actually ended up really liking it. From then on, Michelle and Gina were actually, you know, chained together in the same room. And they actually ended up becoming very close. There were times where Ariel would go to hit Gina and Michelle would stop him. And she would take the hits for Gina. She basically always tried to project, protect Gina at any cost. She would take the punishment because she knew how it felt, felt to hurt. And she didn't want Gina to feel like that. Michelle would always, you know, tell Ariel, I'm the one you hate, and would take the beatings. After it happened, Gina would cry and ask, you know, why would you do that? And her, her reply would always be, because I care. Michelle even said Gina had, to act, had actually saved her life before. Um, after she had, after Michelle had her last miscarriage caused by Ariel, by starving her, jumping on her stomach and kicking her, there was a time Michelle thought she was going to die. But Gina picked her up in her arms and said, come back. Michelle begged Gina to just let her die. But she wouldn't. So after a while you know, of Gina nursing Michelle back to health. They, I guess, they seemed to go stronger. It seemed after a while, Ariel seemed to favor Amanda a lot because she was blonde, and Michelle thinks he actually had an obsession with blondes. Now, like I said, I don't know what happened. Um... Michelle was on the Dr. Phil show, and she did say that her and Gina were close because they were always together. Michelle and Amanda were okay, but they weren't the best of friends. And she describes it as, Amanda was one of those type of girls that really didn't get it, Michelle said. She would see it, and she, you know, just didn't want to believe it. She wanted to think that it wasn't happening. That's what type of girl she was in the house. Ariel treated her totally different. 
so she looked at the situation in a different way. Michelle also told Dr. Phil that when Amanda's mother, um, you know, would plead for her to come back and, you know, be brought to safety or whatever, Ariel would always look at Michelle and say, where's your family? Why don't you have any? They must not really love you. Tears, you know, fell as she remembered those days and feeling like she was actually completely alone. And she said it was just extremely painful to have somebody come in your room day after day telling you your family doesn't care. You never had a family that loves you. And that's the reason I hate you. Because I can abuse you and nobody would care. And that is what she told Dr. Phil that Ariel Castro would tell her. And, you know, she said Ariel was on to something. It would hurt her because she knew her family didn't care. She knew they weren't out there looking for her and they never were. And when she saw Amanda's mom, you know, on TV, she said, I just wanted her to be my mother. I wanted her to say all those things to me. And, you know, the police did actually acknowledge that there was very little focus on finding Michelle because her family did think she ran away after she lost custody of her son. And Michelle's mother, Barbara, told today on May 8th that it was the investigators who figured, you know, that she just left because, like I said, she lost her son. Michelle, you know, actually refused to see her own mother as well. And she didn't spare her mother either. She told Dr. Phil that even before she was abducted, her own mother kept her captive. She wasn't allowed out. She wasn't allowed to have friends, Michelle said. She claimed her mother wanted to keep her un uneducated to enable her to collect supplemental security income, which is SSI. Her mother also told the Cleveland Plain Dealer that she had put up flyers for her missing daughter on Cleveland's west side and had continued searching for her on her own even when she had moved out of state. And... That's crazy because I could never imagine. I would tear the whole world up if one of my children ever went missing. And that's just a rough thing to think about, you know? So, Ariel gave each of the girls cakes kind of to celebrate, like, the. he looked at it as a celebration for their, like, abductions, and he would feed them cake as, like, he thought, like, yeah, this is great. It, Ariel, it was not great, okay? <clears throat> so, since Gina and Michelle were basically together all the time, their room was actually really, really in bad condition. Their mattress was infested with bed bugs. And they said, you know, they even saw them on the mattress. At night, they probably were getting bit. And when they told Ariel, he just got, like, one of them plastic covers you can just put over the mattress and was like, have at it. I, I don't know what else to tell you. So eventually, um, Amanda had gotten pregnant with Ariel's baby. And she carried her baby full term. But, you know, she didn't receive any prenatal care. She didn't go see an OBGYN. Nothing. Amanda had been forced to give birth to her child in a, like, a kiddie pool, like a blow-up pool. And Michelle, you know, acted like the midwife and basically was the doctor and helped Amanda deliver this baby. Um, Amanda pushed her daughter out, who she named Jocelyn, but... When Jocelyn was born, she was not breathing. Ariel then flew into a rage and said that if she dies, I'm going to kill you. And Michelle was terrified. The girls were probably terrified because they probably believed he meant what he said. 
Michelle was eventually able to um, resuscitate the baby. Um, and she gave, she gave Jocelyn basically um, the kiss of life. And after Jocelyn was alive and, you know, as okay as she could be, Ariel told them callously to clean up the mess. When Amanda's baby was born, she said her daughter was amazing. She was quiet and she was the most beautiful thing, even though it was Ariel's as well and Jocelyn resembled him a lot. Amanda looked at her and said, she's mine. She's mine. And after, you know, Jocelyn was born, she called him daddy. And Ariel occasionally took Jocelyn to his mother's house, whom she did call grandmother. And he also showed his daughters pictures of Jocelyn and claimed that it was his ex-girlfriends. Now, I forgot to put this in here and I wanted to say it earlier, but I forgot. Um, the, the daughters and boyfriends came because they did find, like, thought he was acting pretty suspicious and everything. When they tried to search upstairs, he told them not to go up there because something happened. And then when they came back, he actually put them down in the basement and then they couldn't get in the basement. And one of the uh, boyfriends were like, they're down there, these the two girls, because, like I said, Michelle's didn't get much attraction. So Gina and Amanda, they thought were down there and they were like, no. It's flooded. Well, they ended up coming back over and he put all three of them in a hot car. And the girl said, you know, it was hot. But this was before she had Jocelyn. Um, it was hot and they, you know, remember them. They were coming in and out. They were passing out. He let them look and they just thought it was suspicious. And I believe he asked his son, like, you know... Do you think Amanda Berry is still alive? And the son replied, Oh no, she's probably dead. And like Ariel was like, Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. So that was definitely weird. But I just wanted to throw that tidbit in there. And you know, a, a DNA test eventually claimed that Jocelyn was Ariel's daughter. Now, the neighbors have actually called the cops like three or four times because they seen women on leashes crawling in the dirt and a woman clutching a baby banging on the window for help. One call was made by Ariel himself saying that a fight broke out on the street and the other was related and the other was related to Castro and his duties as a bus driver's official say. But neighbors actually told a different story. One occasion in the spring, four local senior citizens called the police and waited two hours in vain for authorities to appear at the home. A neighbor named Israel Lugo39 recounted how his sister spotted a desperate woman with the baby banging on the upstairs window in November of 2011. He called police after his shaken sibling shared the chilling tale. They knocked on the door in like a good 20 times. Said Lugo, you know, the local, a local contractor. There was no answer, so they just left. Sintron said her daughter spotted like three naked women out in the backyard with dog chains. And leashes around their necks. And they were in the backyard of Ariel's home. Three men were with the woman. Um, who called the police. But the cops just never showed up. Said Israel. So it seems like the police really didn't care. And they really didn't seem to do their jobs. Right away. By coming to the house when you've gotten multiple calls on this. But. That's just my opinion. So when Jocelyn was about two and she was just going on three, she started to wonder about the chains. Ariel actually called them bracelets. Amanda told 2020. But he actually did finally take them off of Amanda because of Jocelyn. Jocelyn was almost 
allowed around Gina. I'm sorry. Jocelyn was also allowed around Gina and Michelle. But they had to use different names because he was afraid that Jocelyn would repeat the names and he would essentially get caught. So they made up some aliases and everything like that. Despite having to raise her daughter in captivity, she was determined, you know, to give Jocelyn this some type of normal life. And she was determined that her child would learn and grow like other children. Amanda had turned one of the rooms into a classroom and she told Ariel to buy books, even though he kind of like hesitated on that. But he eventually caved and bought books. So she could, you know, teach her daughter. She posted the alphabet, shapes, colors on the wall, and she taught her daughter addition and subtraction. But Amanda said Ariel's relationship with Jocelyn was normal. He loved her. She loved him. But, you know, she always wondered whether he would do the same thing to Jocelyn like he was doing to them. Amanda wrote in her book, I know it's wrong, but I feel closer to him. I appreciate that he treats Jocelyn so well and buys her clothes and toys. I desperately want Jocelyn to have a normal life. On the days that he helps me do that, I actually feel some type of affection for him. I'm so confused. How can he be so good one minute and cruel the next? Now, it's not surprising that Amanda, you know did feel some type of affection with Ariel because he was being nice, you know, to their daughter. She probably wasn't really feeling his affection such as such as um gratitude because, you know, gratitude's given freely. Gratitude is that he was feeding and clothing and being kind to the child rather than what he was doing to her mom and the two other girls. And if Amanda did have some type of affection, it most likely to me would have been a survival thing. And it would allow her, under her circumstances of what she went through, she thought if she could get him to have feelings for her, um, as well for their daughter, they would actually have a better chance of, you know, surviving and not getting killed. And it seemed to work. So when Jocelyn would start school, you know, Amanda started this thing saying, okay, we're going to walk to school. They'd walk out of the room. She would say, okay, we're at the street. You got to um, look both ways before you cross. Then when they reached school, Amanda would give her a kiss, you know, say, I love you. Have a good day. I'll see you later. And then, you know, she'd walk out of the room and she would then become her daughter's teacher. Now, let's talk about the girls that, let's talk about the day they were free. This is an exciting day. Jocelyn, you know, walked down the stairs, and she couldn't find Ariel, her dad. She ran back up to her room because Amanda and Jocelyn's door was unlocked, which never really happened. And, you know, Amanda told her daughter, he's probably somewhere in the house. Go check the garage, go check the basement, go check all around. So, you know, her daughter did. And when she came back up, she said daddy's car was gone. Amanda thought this was a trick because Ariel had done this before. He would like accidentally to him leave the door unlocked to see if any of the girls escaped. And when the girls would try to escape, if he caught them, there would be severe punishments. So she wasn't sure if this was a trick he was playing or if this was actually real. Well, Amanda actually peeked, like, out the window a little bit, and she actually noticed his car was gone, and he was nowhere to be found. Amanda thought, you know, should I really do this? And, you know, it's totally understandable that she would think like that because she was probably terrified, you know, as she should have been. If you hear that noise, it's that my 
cord. There's something wrong with my, my microphone. She told herself that, you know, if she was going to do it, she needed to do it now. And she needed to hurry up just in case he came back. So she made her way down the steps to the front door, which was unlocked, but it was wired with an alarm system. She was able to stick her arm out through the locked storm door and she started yelling for help. Someone please help me. I'm Amanda Berry. Please help me. On May 9, 2013, a man named Charles Ramsey had helped her get free. Another name, neighbor named Angel got to Amanda before, but then he decided to walk away. But that's not how Angel tells it. And like I found this thing, so I wrote it. Angel said he helped her. I helped her and I was first. Angel told ABC Cleveland affiliate WEWS TV in Spanish. Charles arrived after she was outside with the girl. But the truth who arrived there, who crossed the street, who came and who broke the door, it was me. In an interview with Nightline anchor Cynthia McFadden, Charles, 43, described what he said happened Monday afternoon when he helped rescue Amanda, who had allegedly had been kidnapped because they didn't know what was going on by Ariel Castro. Charles said he was inside eating McDonald's when he heard a piercing scream from the house next door. A scream that echoes in his head forever, he said. It was this type of scream that, you know made children like stop playing and everybody looked at the house charles said he first looked out the window and he saw his neighbor angel who charles called the dominican these are his words guys not mine he saw him run across the street to the alleged kidnapper's house ariel castro which was next to his and then Charles raced outside to see what was going on. He ran over there and he saw her. Please help me get out of here, Charles said, mimicking a woman's voice. That's what made me go over there and say, who the hell is trying to get out? At first, Charles said he thought someone actually broke into Ariel's house and they just couldn't get out and they gotten themselves stuck or locked in. But all that changed when he saw Amanda's face. He said, when I saw that girl, I don't recognize her. I saw a white girl. Again, his words, not mine. You know, he ended up saying, what's your problem? Keep in mind, the Dominican, as I am saying this, runs back over there behind me. I look across the street and say, she needs to get out of here. He says, as in Angel. I'm not getting involved in that. Charles said then he did what he had to do to get Amanda out of the house. When the door wouldn't open, Charles said he helped her bust out the aluminum bottom so she could get out. And as soon as Amanda got out, she reached in and she pulled Jocelyn out as well. After they got out, Charles called 911. So, you know, he took the phone, called, and then he told Amanda... Now listen, you go across the street and you see that fuck that didn't help you. You go get his, you go get his cell phone and you call 911 from his phone. That way, while I'm trying to get through and you're trying to get through, we both bound to make this happen, Charles said. That's when Amanda ran across the street and made that dramatic 911 call that I played for you in the beginning. Now mind you, while all of this is going on, Michelle and Gina are hearing all of this hard knocking on the ground floor. And Michelle's like, we need to hide because they thought Ariel had came back and he saw Amanda get out. So, you know, they were like, we got to hide. We got to do something. So they hid when the police came in and they were like, police, police. Gina wanted to come out, but Michelle's like, no, it's a trick. I don't think it's police. No one knows we're here. Um, 
And then when Michelle saw an officer, she jumped into the arms and they didn't let go and they were rescued. They were finally free at last. Ariel was arrested that same day at the place you guys know, McDonald's. And of course, he wasn't the only one who was arrested. His two brothers were actually arrested as well. But they were actually released later since they had no involvement in the kidnapping. All three of the girls and Jocelyn were taken to the hospital from where Amanda and Gina were discharged the next day while Michelle actually spent four days in the hospital and then she was released. Ariel did end up pleading guilty to a total of 937 criminal counts of rape, kidnapping, aggravated murder, attempted murder, and assault. He was sentenced to life in prison plus a thousand years without parole. Ariel also forfeited his assets, including his house, which was to be demolished, which it is. It's no longer standing. Before his sentencing, Ariel spoke for 35 minutes, during which he said he wasn't a monster and he was sick. He said to be addicted to sex and por pornography and even claimed that he had never beaten or tortured the woman, and most of the time, the sex he had, was him, had with them was consensual. That's not consensual sex. And after a number of times, he shifted between apologizing and, you know, blaming the victims for getting in a car with a total stranger. He also blamed the FBI for failing to catch him, And in the end, he apologized to the victims again, and he said that he hopes they can find it in their heart to forgive him because he believed they had a lot of harmony in the house. After around one month of sentencing, Ariel Castro committed suicide by hanging himself in his jail cell by using a bedsheet. He took the bitch way out, guys. I'm just going to say it. He really did. All three women received financial received financial help from the Cleveland Courage Fund, which had initially collected around $1.5 million. Amanda's grandfather also promised to give her a classic Chevrolet Monte Carlo from the same year as her date of birth. He kept the car, which required restoration, but there were several auto repair shops that offered you know to do the restoration for free michelle got married in 2016 three years after her abduction um and she wanted to turn her terrible moment into a good moment which is awesome because i i get that you should she actually did change her name to lily ray gina um, and Amanda were um, given honorary high school diplomas. Gina wanted to drive, and she actually has her license now, which is great. <clears throat> Ariel's dead, so that's great. If she would have stood more time in jail. But, you know, Ariel also said that um, when he went into, like, the family dollar, when he killed Michelle, not killed, when he kidnapped Michelle, he actually wasn't planning on, like, he didn't have anybody in mind. She was just there. <clears throat> so. <sighs> it's rough, guys. I mean, Ariel calls himself, like, he's not a monster, which, nope, you're a monster. You are a monster. And... Oh, real quick, I wanted to put this in there, but I forgot. So, going back real quick, when Gina, like, um, was kidnapped, you know, Ariel came back and had a flyer and, like, told her, like, oh, I, um, I went to the thingy, I grabbed this flyer, and she asked, you know, can I have it? And, like, it was hung up on a room because it was the only thing that she, you know, 
could like have like last of her mother because if her mom had it and it was very sad so i just i just don't know how he got away with it for so long that's crazy but you know ariel i hope the devil's torturing you or wherever the hell you're at hope you're chained up and getting raped every day and starved and all all of that stuff and guys that is the end of that's the end of the cleveland abduction that was a rough one and that's it and i hope you enjoyed it i hope my going in and out if it went in and out or didn't bug anybody too much um if you want to follow the facebook page or join the facebook group you can join it at just a girl in true crime you can like me on instagram where i'm going to post some crazy photos about this case on instagram at just a girl in true crime you can send me a gmail at just a girl in true crime and i said about a bonus episode and i'm thinking about that just got to know what, maybe an urban legend to bring, or maybe a lighthearted case, I don't know. Um, Thanksgiving is this week. Um, I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. I know some other places, like I believe Canada, already had their Thanksgiving and stuff, <coughs> and stuff like that. So be safe. Remember to spread love, not hate. And I've been actually keeping up on this Kyle, um, what is it, written house? Okay, yes. The Kyle Written House case. Um, and he was found not guilty on all charges. We're gonna cover that case because I have some opinions about that. But that's it. I'm about to go watch some serial killer docs i don't know but i hope you enjoyed it and i'll be talking to you guys later